It is a, there we go. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> when it's working, you love it. When it's not, you hate it. So, um, there. I don't understand. I might have to look for a different app, but it's uh, kind of nice to be able to uh, record right onto it. But let's uh, bow our heads this time. Father in heaven, we again come before you, Lord. We, we thank you so very, very much for the many wonderful blessings that you pour out upon us. Many times we feel so undeserving. And uh, and we and we may be, but through Christ, uh, you you see our hearts, and uh, you love us. And so, Father, we come before you, and we pray that you will continue to uh, show mercy upon us. We ask humbly for your blessings, the blessings of the Spirit. We thank you so much, Lord, for providing for our needs. We have homes, uh, we have clothing and food, and all the necessities that one would need a lot of times much more than many people around the world. And uh, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who came and and shed his blood at Calvary for us, for our sins, that uh, we may have the opportunity to have eternal life. And for those who are making decisions whether to go all the way with you or not, I pray especially for them, Lord, that you will send the Spirit and angels that excel in strength to surround them and uh, keep them safe from the wicked one, uh, that they may come to know Thee, the true God, and, and Your love, and that uh, they may come to understand the peace and be forgiven. Uh, we thank You so much for Your forgiveness. We pray that You forgive us, each one, our sins. And Lord, we lift up before You those on our prayer lists. We lift up our families, our loved ones. Uh, we think of uh, Malia, Susan's cousin who is dying and we've received word that it uh, sounds like her kidneys are shutting down and it's not good news Lord we pray that you be very near to her and uh, if she does die may it be in Jesus uh, we pray that you'll be very near to her family as well we think of um, Betty Newcomb's friend Marty who had a stroke we pray that you'll be very near to her, and, and heal her according to thy will. Uh, Lord, we uh, lift up a silent, silent prayer for Alex, and we pray also that you continue to be with Kelly as she deals with some health issues, and uh, with Jerry's son, Jim, continue to be a light in his life. Bob, who is searching for truth, pray, Lord, that Jerry will be a good example to him, and and that he can uh, um, come to know the truth concerning the gospel and the Sabbath and and uh, righteousness by faith. Uh, Lord, we lift up Jerry, who's learning new things at uh, work. We pray that uh, you give her knowledge and wisdom. And fathers, we talk about the truth here today. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be very present. Be with me as we go through the words of Jesus here in Matthew 22, and bring thoughts to my mind and uh, that you wish conveyed to the people that we may come to know righteous principles. And Lord, uh, our prayer is that you will give us a grace to live those principles, make it a part of our life, and uh, that we may put on that robe of righteousness that Jesus has uh, provided. We thank you so much again for Jesus and for hearing this prayer as we ask it in his blessed name. Amen. You want to take your Bibles. And turn to Matthew chapter 22. 
Rollin reminded me of something I used to say years and years ago. We're going to ping-pong through God's Word, friends. We're going to ping-pong through God's Word. Used to have that as the opening of our television program, isn't that right, Rollin? And the kids would begin to, yeah, in a few minutes, unless you want to bring it up to me now. Okay. I appreciate you looking that up for me. Um, Matthew chapter 22, one of the things that uh, I hope you will begin to see as we, we kind of go through this parable, um, and, and that is that this uh, there's another uh, reference to it in the Gospels, uh, lessons that Jesus was trying to teach us in here when He, he gave this parable. But what I, what I hopefully you'll see you'll begin to see some parallels between the marriage feast and uh, as it's uh, um, called here, the marriage feast. Uh, Another place it's called the marriage supper, sometimes referred to as that. Um, You'll begin to see parallels between these, uh, the lessons that we're going to learn here that Christ has for us. Uh, Here in these parables, you'll see a parallel with the three angels' messages. In Revelation 14, there are quite a lot of parallels between the two. And I would encourage you, even though we'll go through this, I encourage you always, study to show yourself approved, the Bible says. Study it out, read it, go to Revelation 14, read it. And uh, by aid of the Holy Spirit, I am positive you will start to see things popping out to you, these truths, and you'll begin to see these parallels. But here's Jesus... Here in chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. And uh, I'll remind you to keep your finger there because we will move to some other scriptures here as we go along. Verse 1 says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. By the way, what is a parable? Yeah, a story and illustration. Um, Sometimes it, it, it's a, in essence, a parable is kind of like a veiled story or illustration to those who, who don't have spiritual discernment, oftentimes. Remember the disciples came to Jesus and said, why is it that you speak in parables? And he said, because the parables are for those who have the kingdom to understand, not for the enemy to understand. A very interesting thing that Jesus said there. So oftentimes he spoke in parables, and those parables are for us. Those parables are for those who want to know Christ. Okay? So here again, verse 2, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. So he begins here, and he's beginning to describe again. And like I would tell you, if you go back to, and let's not go back there, but I'll remind you, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and you begin to see here Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's speaking, he's giving us uh, clues. He's giving us, again, the word principles. I don't want to overuse it. But he's giving us principles of understanding what it will take, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The character traits that are needed to walk on those streets of gold in the new Jerusalem. To mingle with angels that have never fallen. 
Let me ask you a question. Is everybody going to heaven? No, no, sadly. There are some prerequisites, aren't there? There are some qualifications. And in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and if you read it through, what Jesus again, and our theme has been for the last few weeks, though we're not, I'm not directly speaking to the character traits and, of who and what the church is, you've learned, I, I, hopefully I've covered ten of them, uh, I'm going to cover them more in depth in the coming uh, weeks ahead. But uh, you begin to see that what Jesus is saying and what He came to, to do, and you've heard me say before and even the Bible lays it out, He wants to bring us back into His image that we were once created in, in Adam and Eve. Well, what does that mean? That means He wants us to be a citizen of the kingdom again. And we have to qualify. The great thing about it is, and we'll learn here in this parable that he's teaching, is that Jesus himself lived the qualifications for us and provides that for us. See? But if you study through many of the parables and you look at the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount and you hear Jesus is laying out qualifications for being a citizen of heaven. That's why many times when you see it, he starts out by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to give a story. See? And as, I, as we learned, there is, there is God's church, there's the church of Christ, and there's the church of Antichrist that are in this conflict. That's all there is. And this is what Jesus lays out. There's only two sides. And as you go through, a number of his teachings, that you, you, these things will begin to pop out at you. You begin to see there are only two sides. You know? And Jesus has said, if you're not with me, you're against me. That means there's only two sides, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So here he's beginning to say, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Verse 3, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Now let me ask you a question about verse 2. Who is this king? He says as a certain king. Who do you think that king represents? Who is he speaking of? Good guess. Close. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Who would the son be? Christ. Who would the king be? The father. father, our heavenly father. So he's beginning to lay out, here, here is what has happened you know, in this conflict between good and evil, between Christ and Antichrist. You had the king, heavenly father, made a marriage for his son. Okay? The very interesting thing this marriage, you remember when I told you earlier that, that you could take one scripture and it's like you could, you know, in my case I say you could, you could preach on just that one scripture. Inspiration tells us that this marriage is a representation of the combination of humanity and divinity. That's what the marriage is. 
And when you, uh, uh, Andre and I had a discussion a, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about baptism. And the, bap, being baptized is an outward sign that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, in essence, uh, the baptism itself is kind of like the wedding, see, between you and Christ. This marriage here that's being spoken of here in verse 2 represents the combining of divinity with humanity. And when you are born again, you have the Spirit alive and living in you. See? And so Jesus, remember, one of the, the very first uh, character traits of God's church and we were defining the Bible was defining is that it has the nature of Christ isn't that what said a combination of what humanity and divinity see so even here is a lesson of who God's church is he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king the heavenly father which made a marriage for his son and the marriage is that he became human. See? And by giving ourselves to him by faith, we can have that divinity, not to become God, that was Satan's deception, but we can have a righteous character like that of Jesus, and that only happens if Jesus is living within. The combination... Huh? Huh? Exactly, the Holy Spirit living within. Jesus abiding in our hearts. That's what he says. I in you and you in me. See? And this is, again, goes back to, like I said, even though I'm not specifically talking about defining who and what the church is, as you begin to study some of these things, these things will pop out at you because what Jesus is trying to teach us Here, he's trying to teach us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven, which is God's church, (laughs) is made up of those who have Christ's nature. And that's what the marriage represents. A a combination of humanity and divinity, being born again. That was one of the character traits that we covered before. right? So he says that this king, he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Isn't that interesting? Um, Let me see here. If we look at... That kind of parallels. If you go back a chapter and look at verse 34, and this was the parable of the householder and the tenants. So Jesus here, He's giving these certain parables parables here and he's teaching us about the kingdom of God and he says in the husband uh, back it up here where am I verse 33 the previous chapter chapter 21 verse 33 says here another parable there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country look at verse 34 and when the time of the fruit drew near he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it So we kind of see a parallel there. If you look at verse 3, He sent forth His servants to call them that were bidden.
That also kind of parallels with Luke 14 and verse 16, which says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And that's the parable of the great supper that parallels uh, this parable. And so here he is, the call them who, who were bidden, and what did they do? Now who would be bidden, you think? He sent forth his servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, right? Sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden. What does that imply? Well, if you have a marriage, they were invited, right? They got invitations. Now, this implies that not everybody got invitations, doesn't it? You're sending them out to a specific audience that got invitations. Now thinking of the Son as Jesus, and He he became human, and He came down here, who is it that were bidden? Who were the ones that were invited? Who did Jesus come to? Who did He come to first? Of all the people in the world. Who were God's people? professed, the Jews. So he comes to to his people, his professed people, and what does it say? They wouldn't come. They wouldn't accept him. They wouldn't become born again. They rejected being of that nature of Christ. You see? Now, finding it interesting as we go on here, that was the first call. And of three calls that were made in this parable to God's people who were invited originally, see? Now that should give us some comfort because God doesn't give up. (laughs) Even though after the first call, they were invited. Then they were reminded, see? He sent His servants to remind them, hey, you were called, come to the wedding. He's made the wedding, it's ready, we're going to have a feast. I'm not going well, enough of you then, but that's not how it ended, was it? Enough of you. That's funny. But that's not how it ended, see? Just like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve hid from God, was it was Adam and Eve, now it sounds kind of silly, was Adam and Eve looking for God or was God looking for Adam and Eve? God was looking for He went searching for them, didn't he? That tells us something about God's character, his character of love. So here he sends it to those who were bidden. And uh, you'll find that this first inspiration tells us that of the three calls to the Jews, this was the first one, and it was made through all the Old Testament prophets. Time after time again, even Jesus said, you were sent prophets and you stoned and killed them. So these prophets were sent. All the prophets, take all the prophets in the Old Testament. All these prophets were sent to those who were bidden. The prophets weren't sent to the heathen and pagan nations, were they? They were sent to God's people. And why were they sent? Because the marriage supper, there was an invitation, a reminder of the invitation. You are my chosen people. Of where we're at, Matthew chapter 22. The parable of the marriage feast. We're, we're still in verse 3. So here, you know, all the Old Testament prophets 
time after time, you'll find that God, when He raises up a prophet, He sends that prophet to His professed people. He doesn't raise up a prophet and send it to some heathen pagan people. First of all, they don't accept Him as God. What would be the purpose in that? See? But He sends them to those who profess to be His followers, usually to correct understanding, to bring them back, to make a call of revival and reformation. Two of the big ones would be Elijah and even John the Baptist. Jesus Himself said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet there was, which is very interesting. Jesus was a prophet, wasn't He? Yeah, He, he was speaking of um, John's calling, see, to make a way for the Messiah. See? But John was a, a revival and reformation prophet, and Elijah was a revival and reformation prophet. And Malachi tells us that Elijah is going to come again, which means there's going to be a prophet message of revival and reformation for God's people before Jesus returns. That's a whole other subject we can get into. Uh, but they rejected it. They wouldn't come. Verse 4, again, I like that word. It's one word. But it tells us something about God's character, doesn't it? Again. He doesn't give up. And we need to praise God for that. He doesn't give up. So if you have somebody that outright rejects your message or you have children that just are uh, um, disobedient and just refuse, don't give up. Never give up praying for God's providence. And I like that word in verse 4. Again, it says, He sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which were bidden. Now who's that again? His people, right? In this case, the Jews. This is the second time, isn't it? Remember the word again? <laughs> Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. This is the second time. This is Jesus Himself making the call. Jesus is here. And He says to His people who He had come to, Behold, my fatlings are killed. ready for the feast and all things are ready come unto the marriage all things are ready and you go to Isaiah 4 well he refers to if you go to what is it, Luke 4 and Jesus refers to Isaiah and he says uh, and we covered this last week Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. What was that text in Isaiah? I'm thinking it was 61. Catch up to me afterwards, Jerry. But as we talked about last week, you know, and they wanted to, to kill him because they found out that all these things that he was saying and repeating out of Isaiah 
was meant for them <laughs> and not you know all those outside the church but he's telling them here and this is the second time this is the second call it's made by Christ himself did they accept what Jesus had to say to them what did they do to Jesus they nailed him to a cross It says in verse 5, But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And it says in verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Do you see here three calls made? One by the Old Testament prophets, one by Jesus himself. And if you look at, let's go to, let's go back up to verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Now let me ask you something. When Jesus, is Jesus making calls today? Are calls being made for people to come to the marriage? So, some of these same things we see happening today, don't we? But very interesting, if you turn to Revelation 18, keep your finger there. Turn to Revelation chapter 18. And this is something that needs to be brought to our attention because this is one of the things that Satan uses to grab our, our mind, to take us away from the call that's being made. You know, the the bidding to come to the marriage. If you look at uh, Revelation 18, look at verse 3. Let's back up verse 1. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power on earth, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice. This is a repeat of the second angel's message. Remember what I say at the very beginning? If you start to study these, this parable, you, you begin to see a parallel between it and the three angels' messages in a number of ways. And here's one. So here's a repeat. Revelation 18 is talking about here's the second angel's message, message given again. The first time it was given, it wasn't given with a, a loud voice. But here it is. It says, With a strong voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And notice this, it says, And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And what did this say in verse 5 of Matthew 22? But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise I think in Revelation 18 you go to 11 it says something similar it says and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her this is because they've fallen Babylon has fallen for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore and verse 15 the merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment weeping and wailing there's coming a time, and we're right upon it, friends, when gold will mean nothing.
your merchandise will be worthless. Because what God is concerned with is not gold, but gold tried in the fire. Our character. See. And so you start to see some parallels here. They made light of it. They went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. But then notice what happened there in verse 6. The remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Look at Matthew 23 and verse 30. Very familiar here. Jesus speaking about this. And again, like I said, there were three calls here to those who were bidden. One Old Testament prophets. One in this parable itself that was given by Jesus. Another we'll find here was given by the apostles. But look at, uh, look at Matthew 23. And, and we're, many of us, I'm sure, are very familiar with these words of Christ. Beginning with verse 30, He says... Well, back up to verse 29. Let's back up one more. Verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. What did they do to the, in the first call? They rejected it, remember? Mm-hmm. That was the Old Testament prophets. Verse 31, he says, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you, what? Prophets. Prophets, and wise men, and scribes, and some of them ye shall, what? Kill. Kill and crucify. And some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the what? Prophets. Prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would what? Not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And we learned in our study... That wherever Jesus is, there is His church. And when Jesus left the temple there, and we left for the last time, their house was desolate. Oh, they had the temple. They professed that God was with them, but God wasn't there. And without the presence of Christ, it isn't His church. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So we find there in verse 6 of Matthew 22, it says, In the remnant, (laughs) I like that, it's expressive, it says who we're particularly speaking to. The remnant 
took his servants and entreated them. Now the remnant are those who are left after the ones who made light of it, went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. The remnant that was left there of those who professed, those who professed to be righteous. And we just read that, chapter 23. But inside they were full of iniquity. Let me ask you a question. What is iniquity? It's a particular type of sin. What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law. Iniquity is a word. It's not just sin. It is because you can sin ignorantly. Isn't that true? If you don't know it's sin, you're still committing the sin, but you don't know that it's a sin. And God winks at that because God's, God's just and He's fair. He says, well, they didn't know. Even us today, when we, we, we think you can take a heathen who doesn't know anything about God and they will have some justice. You know, They would come to a conclusion, well, that person didn't know. It was wrong, but they didn't know it. Iniquity is knowing it's wrong and making the choice to rebel against it. So sometimes when you read through your Bible and talks about sin and then it specifically says iniquity hopefully you kind of perk up and say okay what's really being said here remember what was Jesus who was he talking to when he said this he was talking to the leaders of wasn't he scribe he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites he said you see they used to have a what they used to do with the tombs back then they would, they would decorate them on the outside. The very wealthy people would, would plant gardens, like flower gardens and those types of things before the tomb and all this. See, But what was held in the tomb? Somebody who was dead. So Jesus was telling them, oh, you decorate the outside. So people may think you're all righteous, but you're all puffed up and inside you're full of dead men's bones. You don't accept righteousness. You don't live righteousness. You just profess it. That's why he said you're full of iniquity. You know what's right because you're a leader of Israel. You know, you've studied the scriptures. You know these things. But you're choosing to rebel. You have not. That's why they refused to go to part of the thing of refusing to go to the marriage feast. They weren't born again. If they would have accepted it, they'd be born again. They'd become humanity and divinity combined. But this is the remnant that he's talking about. Because remember, the, the first ones made light of it and went their way to do their own thing. They were indifferent to it. Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. And you run into people that are just indifferent to it. They're just in it for themselves. And then the other ones, they went to their merchandise. But then you had the remnant here, and what did they do? They spitefully slew them. Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 1. Let's start with verse 1. Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Who's being spoken of here? If you back up to uh, chapter 7, let's look at verse so oh, 
Here was a person named Stephen. You guys know who Stephen was? And so Stephen's been given this, this testimony to give to his brethren, the Jews. Okay? And Stephen was, he was a follower of Christ, wasn't he? Is he a deacon? And here he's given this testimony. He says, and he goes through this whole, he reminds him of all the history, how God had been with him. And he brings him to Jesus, who's the Messiah. And he goes through all this. And in verse 51, he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do, do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Again, it goes back to where Jesus was saying. This was the remnant. <laughs> Verse 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, that means that they, that doesn't mean they were biting him. That means they were cursing him out. That's some righteous behavior, isn't it? But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran. Stopped their ears. What do you think that means? They didn't listen to him. They stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, this was Stephen, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Remarkable. Stephen loved them, though they were killing him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, verse 1 of chapter 8 was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. This isn't talking about the Jews at Jerusalem. This is talking about the church of Christ at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing Men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So you see here, going back to the parable that Jesus was talking about, here's this remnant. They take His servants and it says they entreat them spitefully and they slew them. So you have the call, three calls to God's professed people. Three different times in this parable being spoken of. Although the Old Testament prophets was through a number of years, wasn't it? Hundreds of years. And then Jesus Himself, by this parable Himself, is making a call. Then the apostles, through all the way up to Stephen, was making a call to those who were bidden to come to the marriage. And then they slew them. Look at verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, What's wrath mean? Angry. Angry. Very. Angry. very. Yeah, I like to, to add the word very. Mm -hmm. Not just angry. 
You're so angry, you're prompted to immediate action. You're wroth, full of energy. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Did this come to pass? When did it come to pass? Was Jerusalem ever destroyed? Turn ahead, keep your finger there, but turn ahead to chapter 24, Matthew. Verses 15 and 16. Now, the, chapter 24, Jesus gives a lot of the signs of the times of the com- His coming and the end of the age, etc. Notice what He says in verse 15. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Jesus was giving a warning here that Jerusalem was going to be surrounded. Remember when Jesus said, you will not leave one stone left upon another? This was the fulfillment of that. Around, what was it, 70 A.D., somewhere around in there. Rome surrounds them destroys the city. This is what Jesus was saying here. He's giving this parable. It's a second call. His act of giving this parable is a second call to come to the feast. And they rejected it. His apostles, and even in chapter 24, he was given the warning. You know, the city's going to be destroyed. Remember, you go from this chapter into chapter 23 and it's all the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he, and, he, and he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Then he goes out on the hillside and the, the disciples come to him and say, What did you mean by all these things? And he goes through all the signs. So you go, here's an imitation of a parable to come to the feast. It's rejected and rejected and rejected. Next chapter, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. God is left. Chapter 24, very next chapter. He says to the Christians, those who are accepting Jesus, those who have come to the wedding, (laughs) listening to the invitation, he says, when you see what Daniel's talking about and the city is surrounded, leave. And a way was made for them to leave. Rome, for some reason, retreated. Christians saw this as the sign that Jesus was speaking of. They fled the city. Rome returns. A few years later, destroys the city. That's a fulfillment of verse 7. When the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, again, remember, I, I told you at the beginning, there are a number of parallels here in this parable with Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages. 
there is going to be an end to sin and murder one day, isn't there? All those, all those who refuse the invitation to the feast, all those who profess to be followers of God will be the ones who will persecute God's true people. Jesus has laid it out for us right here. All those in Revelation 14. Babylon fallen was a church that was once pure but has become corrupt. That's the definition of fallen Babylon. Who is it that has the mark of the beast? The beast is Babylon fallen. And they persecute those who will not take their mark, don't they? Do you see the parallel? Babylon is the professed world church. It's the, it's the, but God has showed us the truth. It's the whore and all her daughters. Still the same family, isn't it? Remember, there's only two churches, friends. There's only two spirits. You start to learn some of the principles here. God lays out, you begin to see parallels in the things that Jesus taught, parallels in other places in the Bible of our day. We're living in the time of the three angels' messages, are we not? So he, he destroys that remnant. He destroys those who were first bidden. Look at verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not what? They were not worthy. Again, I'll remind you. Jesus, verse 2, said, The kingdom of heaven is like. You have to be worthy to be there. Those who were bidden were found that they weren't worthy. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye call, find, bid to the marriage. Now, what you'll find in this parable, there are three calls to the Jews, but there's also three calls of the parable. And that can be kind of confusing. And this is the third call of the parable, but it's not to those who are bidden. Who is this call to? Everyone else. Those who weren't first bidden. They would be to the Gentiles, wouldn't it? Remember, we went to uh, the persecution there and we, we read where they stoned Stephen. And who was there holding the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen? Saul. Saul was persecuting God's church, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, didn't he? And Saul accepted the invitation to the feast on that road. And then Paul took the message to who? The Gentiles. Everyone else who wasn't originally invited, per se, by the parable. Who wasn't bidden. Who wasn't the professed of God. This was the third call of the parable, but it's to the Gentiles. 
So he says, Go therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. By the way, when it says bad and good, those who heeded the invitation professed to follow the king. Okay? Who is it that's making the invitation? Who is it who's making the marriage feast? It's the king, isn't it? Right? So they went to the, the servants went out into the highways and they gathered together as many as they found. That means those who were willing, as many as they found, that didn't mean they went out and they hang, you know, shanghaied a bunch of them and dragged them to the feast. Okay? They went out and they gave the invitation. And those who would professed to follow the king, but not all of them lived up to that profession, did they? What's it say there? And as many as they found both bad and good. What do they mean by that? Why would they bring somebody bad? Well, they didn't know they were bad. Jesus is saying... These were the ones who accepted the invitation, but some of them were bad. This is Jesus' insight to us. Both bad and good were there. This is an indication, friends, of the church militant made up of the wheat of God and the tares. But to our eyes, we don't know the difference. We don't know enough. We don't have enough of the evidence. We can't read the heart to know who is a tare. Because the tares look a lot like the wheat. Okay? So this is, this is kind of a describing the church militant. Both good and bad. And the wedding was furnished with guests. So here we have. The church is filled. Church is filled. It's, the, here are those who have accepted the marriage or who have professed to. See? But we'll find as we go on something not right here. In fact, I think this book reminds me. Let's see if this is right. Oh, yeah. Reminded me a little bit there of both bad and good, says there in verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. You look at verses 9 and 10, and, and basically, if you look at Acts 10, verse 28, this was Peter at Cornelius' house. And you remember he was, um, Peter had that vision. God was trying to teach him a lesson. And he had that vision, and there was the sheet, and it had all the animals on it, and he knew the difference between, you know, Lord, I'd, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. Mm-hmm. What was the lesson that God was trying to teach Peter? Not to call any, of those people. Not to call any human being 
common or unclean. Verse 28, and he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That's just another reference scripture you can use here for this parable in Matthew 22, uh, in particular verse 9 and 10. Go out into the highways and the byways. Anyway, verse 11. So here you have the, the marriage feast is filled with guests. It's furnished with guests. In verse 11 it says, When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now that's really interesting. It was very common when there was a wedding and they had the, the, the marriage feast that the, the um, king... Now, it wasn't so much with, uh, with others, but usually the kings, uh, those who were very wealthy, very highly esteemed, they provided the guests with a particular um, garment to wear. It was a gift to the guests. And it was very nice. Okay? They spared no expense, so to speak. It was very nice, and all the guests were given this gift. Here's a, it was a garment. And so the king comes in, and he comes in to see the guests, and it says there, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, let me ask you something. Let's say you provided wedding garments. Let's say you're having a wedding, and, and you have bridesmen and, and you, I mean, bridesmaids, and you have groomsmen, and you provided their garments. And you get to the wedding and you find, well, there's one of the bridesmaids that refuses to wear the dress. That would be pretty upsetting, wouldn't it? So here, here are these guests. And the king comes out. And it's a joyous occasion. And the king comes out. He's looking around. He's looking at all the guests. And he comes across one who didn't bother to put on the garment that he had provided. So his first thought is, well, how did he get in here? He must not be a guest, because surely all my guests would put on the garment. Not for the wedding party. Right? So he says, verse 12, And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless, says. What's, what's happening here? If, if you look back, the king was the, the father, the son of Jesus. There's calls to his people who professed to be his people. The Jews, they rejected him three times. They, they rejected the Old Testament prophets. They rejected Jesus himself. They rejected the gospel that was given through the apostles. They stoned Stephen. They were done. God sends the message out to come to the feast to everyone else who wasn't bidden. Jews who individually still included in that. And it comes to a point where they come to the feast and the king comes out and he starts looking at the guests. And I want you to pick up on this because this is really important. And this is a parallel again with the three angels' messages. And the first angel's message talks about the judgment has come. 
in order for the king to, the king has to, we'll put it this way, the king has to make a judgment, doesn't he? On who's wearing a garment he provided and who isn't. Takes judgment, doesn't it? But I want you to notice that it's the king who's doing the judging here. It's not the guests who are doing the judging. It's the king. Okay? We are in a time of an investigative judgment. Our names are being brought up. The record's being looked at. Because you see, we profess to be a follower of God. Yeah, I'll bring that up. And God has provided a garment for the guests. What is that garment? And by the way, let's, let's go ahead for just a second here. Let's look at um, verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. And that finishes up the par parable. So we see here from verse 11, we see a judgment going on. We see that, that God had provided a garment. Who's the king again? The king represents our Heavenly Father. Represents God and His kingdom. And when we were created, you go back to Genesis, when we were created, we were given a righteous garment. Adam and Eve. Inspiration tells us it, it was a, a garment of righteousness. It was kind of like a, a glow of light, of glory that was around them. But when they sinned, they lost that garment. They lost that righteousness. Inspiration says a robe of righteousness. So God not only calls us, each of us, friends, to the wedding feast, He provides a garment of righteousness for us to wear. And, and by the way, if you, you get the book Christ's Object Lessons and you read roughly pages, I think it begins on like page 305 or so and onward, it talks about this particular parable and the other parable of the, the supper, the great supper. And, and it talks about these things. But there is something interesting. Um, Christ's Object Lessons, if I can find it. See, I have it on mine, but... Page 310, I think, is the page. How come this doesn't show the pages? What are you looking for? Well, first of all, what is this garment? Let's look up some scriptures. Okay. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 27. What is this garment? Missed it. Christ's righteousness? How do you know? Here, here what we see what the king is doing. What God is doing in this investigative judgment. He's going through and, and he's, he's working on our characters. And it's a time of where 
our sins are being removed from us. That means our character is getting such to where we choose not to sin anymore. We are replacing unrighteous habits with righteous habits. And what does righteous mean? What is righteousness? Right doing. Doing the right thing according to God. God's law. God's character traits. And so this is what Jesus is doing while He's ministering for us in heaven. We're going through this process of judgment. There comes a point where the judgment's done and those who are without a wedding garment are cast out. See? Remember, in verse... um, 9 and 10, I said this is a depiction of the church militant, which is made up of the wheat and tares. And what God is doing, He's removing the tares from the church, which means the church is changing from the church militant to the church triumphant. Without spot or wrinkle. And if you go to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 27, this is what... uh, Paul is actually, he's talking about husbands and wives, you know, submitting themselves to each other and such. But in verse um, 27, um, let me back up. Back up to verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That's the process of judgment going through and perfecting our character, and ultimately the judgment removes those who profess to be followers, but really aren't because they didn't put on the garment. Notice what it says in verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church triumphant. If you go to Revelation what is it, 3.18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. This is the call from Christ, knocking at the door of our heart, making that call, to come to the feast. Providing a robe that is white, without spot, without blemish. And I think also if you look at... Oh. If you're in Revelation, go to Revelation 20, I think. I'm thinking it's Revelation 20. Well, Revelation 20, verse 11 on, talks about the judgment. See? And this king was making a judgment. See? Who's wearing the garment that I provided and who isn't? And it says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged, every man according to their works 
and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The only people, friends, that are going to be written in the book of life are those who are wearing the wedding garment. Remember, the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. I'm thinking it might be, I back up a chapter. Look at verse, chapter 19, Revelation, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. There are parallels here between um, this parable and the three angels' messages. A separating process. You know, the three angels' messages, that's what it's all about. They are separating messages. They are messages that separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the wheat from the tares, those who wear the wedding garment from those who don't. That's what the messages are all about. And that's what this parable was about. This is what Jesus was talking about. Jesus began by saying, the kingdom of God is like this. We're going through this conflict. And there is a something that... Uh, from Christ's Object Lessons... Says the fine linen, says the scripture, is the righteousness of saints. It is, this is from Christ's Object Lessons, and I'm thinking page 310, it's somewhere between 305 to 310. It is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal Savior. The white robe of innocence was worn by our first parents when they were placed by God in Holy Eden. They lived in perfect conformity to the will of God. All the strength of their affections was given to their Heavenly Father. A beautiful soft light. Remember I mentioned that? Um, the light of God enshrouded the holy pair. This robe of light was a symbol of their spiritual garments of heavenly innocence. Had they remained true to God, it would ever have continued to enshroud them. But when sin entered, they severed their connection with God, and the light that had encircled them departed. Naked and ashamed, they tried to supply the place of heavenly garments by sewing together fig leaves for a covering. Is it? I'm looking for... Only, you go down a little farther, only the covering which Christ Himself has provided can make us meet to appear in God's presence. This covering, the robe of His own righteousness... Christ will put upon every repenting, believing soul. I counsel thee, he says, to buy of me white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Um, says this robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. 
I'm trying to find them in particular. Here it is. By His perfect obedience, and here's the encouragement, and I'm going to close with this. By His perfect obedience, He has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with His heart. The will is merged in His will. The mind becomes one with His mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of His righteousness. Where's that from? Christ Object Lessons. Page 312. Page 312. Then, as the Lord looks upon us, He sees not the fig leaf garment, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but His own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. Friends, the robe, the, the garment, the wedding garment that the king provided for the guests is Christ's righteousness. Not only does He bid us to come to the marriage, but He provides and the garment to wear. And that's what the kingdom is like. Do you want to be in the kingdom? We need to realize our condition. That all our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're wearing filthy rags. Until we accept the invitation. Repent of our sins. Then we will be clothed with the character traits of Christ. Yeah, character is revealed by what we do, not what we profess. If that's your will, bow your heads with me. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that not only do you call us to the wedding feast, but you provide us with the garments to wear. And Lord, right at this time, we ask that you forgive us our sins. We repent of them. Please provide for us this garment so in this separating process, we will remain in the book of life. And when Jesus comes, He will take us home with Him. Lord, we thank You so much for this opportunity. And we pray that we will be found faithful. We ask it in the name of Jesus.